When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Destroy Superman and the Justice League. Oh, help us. Don't worry about me. Stop them. I always do. Here's the plan. What plan? Their butts, right? Let's get this over with. I would enjoy this. Too much curiosity can be dangerous. Maybe I like danger. You've gotta stop them before it's too late. Stay down. Give him strength. Let's move. Justice League. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the DCAU Review, episode 188. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter page. That's right. It's Liam. Liam, welcome to yet another episode here in the month of December of DCAU Review. That is right. We are continuing our month celebrating 20 years of the original Justice League cartoon. We had a, uh, an interesting one to talk about last week, and we have a, one this week that is uh, equally as interesting to talk about, I think. That being another season one episode, that being Metamorphosis Parts 1 and 2. That's right, and uh, dutifully named because uh, this episode, of course, introduces Rec mason aka he will be later known as metamorpho uh actually a character that uh, when we saw this originally ironically we only had part one i believe on tape uh Mm -hmm. so we for the longest time we really didn't know how this episode (laughs) ended up uh so it was i think probably when we got it on dvd we were finally able to to realize what exactly happened in this episode but uh, this episode it did introduce a character that we had been familiar with from just seeing uh, whether, you know, seeing him in uh, on different comic covers and in old books that we had, or, you know, I know that he had made some appearances in some of the detective comics run uh, detective comic runs in the seventies and eighties, I believe. So uh, seeing him on covers and, and kind of knowing about him, but not really knowing who the character was, but uh, excited uh, to review this episode as it's a, it's a pretty memorable one as we kind of get that first uh, expansion here, not only of villains in the DCAU, but uh, an, another would be hero slash ally to the justice league introduced here. But before we get into a review and the categories this week, week, Liam, we will of course, once again, we have a pair of IMDb synopsis for this week's unsponsored IMDb synopsis segment. 
So without further ado, I'll turn that over to you. These episodes originally airing on the Cartoon Network back on October the 4th, 2002 and October the 11th, 2002, meaning uh, actually we have a, a whole nother year before we celebrate the 20th anniversary of these particular episodes. That's right. And these are the synopses for Metamorphosis Parts 1 and 2, which were written by Len Yuli and Dwayne McDuffie directed by Dan Reba with music by the Dynamic Music Partners and animation by Coco. And that synopsis reads as such. Green Lantern's friend is transformed into a monstrous elemental shapeshifter by his jealous employer and is tricked into thinking Green Lantern is responsible. All right, part two here. A confused Mason slash Metamorpho is finally convinced the League is there to help him. Together, they race to head off the newly transformed stag before he kills Mason's fiance, who is also his own daughter. Oh, ugh. too wordy. Too much of the second person there, too. <laughs> because the way that sentence is structured, it looks like Mason's fiance is Mason's daughter, and that's... Uh, it's gross and not what, what happened there. So even if there is some sort of weird uh, undercurrent of, of oh, there's a little bit of that possession by by Simon Stagg, which we'll get into here in the plot as we begin to break this down, Liam. But uh, we are actually introduced as as we start the episode. Uh, we are introduced uh, to a uh, to some a character uh, who looks very odd. He sort of has imagine if Wolverine was going bald, like that's what that's what. Uh, one we are we come to learn Simon Stagg appears and uh, we are actually aren't aware of it but he's actually presenting a video of this mining accident accident that occurs and uh, in his presentation he's uh, presenting this boardroom and makes mention that they're constantly having these accidents and due to that fact uh, that uh, more and more insurance companies are refusing to sort of cover their employees and they're sort of this in-between place and there it's costing the big business money and it's, you know, it's costing lives. So he has a, an idea and a solution. And that is going to be this uh, superhuman genetically enhanced. It's always got to be a genetically enhanced person, mm -hmm. right? A genetically enhanced, uh, not super spider, uh, but a genetically enhanced man and he's going to change this guy so he's going to be able to to survive in any condition and he has this computer generated image of this guy surviving cold and extreme heat and uh a cave collapsing on him and all this stuff and he managed <laughs> to survive and the board does their best to say that they're really not interested or impressed and pretty much mock him for bringing in a computer generated image of this despite the fact that we that they live in a time where there are just superheroes and aliens everywhere these these uh these board members are not impressed because he's brought them meet uh, basically a, a concept here gentlemen you have a problem it was an accident there were no fatalities you got lucky this time mr braddock but because of unsafe conditions like this the unions are demanding higher wages and the insurance companies won't cover your risk luckily i've got a solution please enlighten us mr stag i call it metamorpho a chemically altered worker who will not merely survive in most hazardous environments but will thrive in them. 
Stag, we need a practical solution, not some half-baked computer-simulated fantasy. I assure you, it's no fantasy. Stag Industries has sunk a fortune into developing this. Hogwash. I'll believe it when I see it, but not until then. They want proof. I'll give them proof. All I need is a volunteer. That leaves Stag sh sort of shaking his head and determining that he has to kind of put this plan into action and bring them solid proof that this idea of a of Project Metamorpho can actually come to life here. And that's kind of what we uh, where we get the plan put into motion. Yeah. So it's interesting because part one of this is very um, it's very centered on one member of the Justice League, which we did not get a lot of episodes that were really solely focused on uh, on a single league member like we have here um, that of course being the one member being green lantern uh john stewart we as you said there's a, a little bit of a subplot there is as uh simon stag instructs his uh his henchman this overgrown man who uh who looks like a caveman and if you go by the comics it literally is a unfrozen caveman <laughs> in uh in java like the coffee i guess yep um but uh, yes, Java is sort of trying to uh, transport this mutagen. He's on a on a train that our own fearless uh, Rex Mason, who we're inter introduced to briefly on the train, who also happens to be on that train. But uh, the mutagen has to be checked. And uh, so it's kind of knocked around in a vial of it spills, of course, as fate would have it. And the, the train appears to be uh, in deep trouble, about to crash when uh, the Green Lantern himself, John Stewart, shows up. And, uh, and saves the day and uh, kind of in the aftermath there, he is able to that he and John were in fact in the same platoon uh, when they were in the art, they were in the army together and they Marines. were uh, Marines. Oh, Marines. That, that's an important distinction. I apologize. <laughs> uh, uh, but yes, they, they were in the Marines together. And so they, they agreed to sort of catch up and, as uh, as John Stewart is sort of introduced to what Rex has been doing, they sort of have a little bit of dialogue about how, you know, John basically traded one uniform for another. He's, you know, he's obviously not a Marine anymore, but he is still in a uniform, still taking orders, still, you know, still uh, kind of doing uh, the soldier thing. Whereas Rex sort of got out of that life and has moved into the private sector and is uh, doing quite well for himself. Himself, not only uh, financially, but also we're introduced to his uh, his love interest, uh, Sapphire Stag, the daughter of the aforementioned Simon Stag, who's you know just portrayed as this lovely woman. Who, you know he's kind of got everything going for him, and that actually kind of comes into play a little bit later. Um, but uh, yes, that that is sort of part of this. As while Green Lantern is uh, talking with Rex and Sapphire, he gets a call from Batman, who has a gone to investigate the, the train accident and notices that there was some sort of experimental mutagen that sort of ate through the, uh, the wheels of the train and caused it to, uh, to, to uh, speed out of control. So uh, Green Lantern sort of puts the screws to Rex a little bit and tells him that, that a company like Stag Industries would perhaps have something like this and uh, that causes Rex to go and kind of investigate and and in the process he's uh he's uh he sort of confronts simon stag about it who kind of blows him off and kind of threatens him not 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 as overtly but sort of tells him to, to stay out of it and to mind his own business and 
in the process there, Simon Stagg is uh, also alerted that uh, Rex agreed to stay out of it, but his way of staying out of it is quitting, moving to another city, and taking Simon Stagg's daughter with him. And uh, this is the first part of where we get some of the uh, the aforementioned creepy undertones of the Simon Stagg uh, infatuation with his own daughter, I guess you would say. Hello, precious. I came as fast as I could. Uh, thanks, Daddy. You said it was urgent. What's wrong? That depends on your point of view. What are you doing here? Giving notice. What? I've accepted a job offer in Chicago. And I'm going with him. But you can't. Daddy, I'm not your little girl anymore. Don't try to stop us, Simon. No, no, of course not. It's just such a shock. All I want, all I've ever wanted is for you to be happy. Are you sure about this? Yes. And go with my blessings. I'm glad you understand. I'll clean out my desk tonight. No hard feelings? Dad? Good night. What happened, boss? I believe I found my volunteer. Yeah, there's, there's um, definitely a, a creepy undertone there. And it like it maybe we're re- I, I don't know. I, I thought I was like, am I reading into this? But I think ultimately when we see the culmination of it and we know what that sort of was based, what, like what, what the culmination of this episode and what it is sort of giving an homage to leads me to believe that it wasn't so much as like subvert as overt <laughs> yes so and well, well there certainly will be some dialogue in in part two that i want to come back to that uh maybe <clears throat> expands on that a little bit but <laughs> um but yeah so mason decides to go clean out his desk he's going to clear out and uh and uh in fact he notices there's some sort of security breach and he is uh, caught in a lab accident quote unquote why would he why would he like there's he's in there cleaning his desk out first of all it's late at night when he's cleaning the Mm -hmm. desk out. Mm -hmm. all right i get it maybe he wants to get out of there so he doesn't have to see simon stag right he wants to avoid the conflict of of moving forward but when there's a security breach and he tries to call security and security isn't there mind you he's no longer a an employee of this Mm -hmm. company Mm -hmm. What possesses this guy to go and investigate what the security breach is? Because that's what ultimately leads to him. <laughs> he would not have been transformed into this chemical monster if it wasn't for his curiosity and insistence on investigating what the what the security breach was at this company at which he is no longer an employee. Yes. Uh, not quite sure what, I, I mean, I wouldn't, even if you're an employee, you're not, if you're not security, I, I think I would have just, <laughs> I would have probably just walked out the door either way, but uh, yeah, especially in light of him planning to leave the company anyway. Uh, but he do- does go in and in fact is trapped in a, a big glass tube. And there's a very, uh, this is a, a very marvelly origin here as he's hit by some sort of uh, noxious gas, which we find out later is it's mutagen and also struck with some sort of energy beam at the same time. And uh, when he awakens in the, uh, in the hospital bed, 
He's uh, greeted by Simon Stagg by Java, who is snapping pictures of him. <laughs> and uh, my favorite bit is Flash is, in broad daylight. Yep, is is Java the cameraman? Like that's his. That's it's his. Pretty great. That's his gimmick. He needs to. He needs to take pictures of everything. He needs to document He's... every single portion of this transformation. <laughs> with... <laughs> Well, maybe he's the one like editing together these videos that Stag takes. Maybe he's like an amateur like cinematographer in his uh in his free time when he's not lugging chemicals around or whatever. But, Unfrozen uh, caveman part time yeah, we... artistic artistic <laughs> uh you know visionary when it comes to comes to to cinema and film. I love it. I love it. That's at least like a one of those DC showcase shorts if it's not a <laughs> a full length movie there. But that's, that's a free idea there. Um okay. But anyway, but yeah, so uh, in the in sort of the aftermath there, Stag, Sapphire, and and uh, and Java all sort of greet Mason, who looks in the mirror and in fact sees that he's transformed uh, right out of the pages of the original comics that he appeared in. Metamorpho has been born here. He has kind of this brief altercation with some uh, some police officers. He, he gets kind of gets hit by a truck and causes the truck to crash, and then sort of gets away from the the police officers who uh quite frankly needlessly escalate the thing he i mean he does accidentally reflect their bullets back at him but then they shot then they shoot a rocket at him that's move number two by these cops i was reminded and this is going to be a deep cut but i was reminded of that scene in arrested development where franklin the puppet is sitting in the in the car and they the police pull up and they they think that he's they like scream like he's being aggressive <laughs> so they like immediately pull out their guns at this puppet just because the puppet is sitting in the front seat of a car like yes. it was like he he bounced the bullet i get it he bounces the bullets back at them but they immediately declare war on this guy at that point <laughs> yes he, and he's also like calling out in english it's not like he's not speaking to them he's, right right <laughs> he's explaining that it was an accident that he doesn't know what he's doing and they're still just opening fire on him but he he gets away and and uh is sort of uh confronts his uh, Simon Stagg once again sort of reiterates what this Metamorpho project was meant to be, but uh, in the process, it's it's noted that uh, that Simon actually has a a sort of ace up his sleeve in that he is not going to take the blame for Mason's accidents, but says that it was purposefully sabotaged. And but not by Simon, of course, but by John Stewart, the Green Lantern, and his evidence is once again the Chekhov's Java the photographer comes back here as he uh as as we he snapped a couple of pictures of uh John comforting Sapphire at the scene of the uh, the accident where uh, Metamorpho had sort of first burst onto the scene and uh, that sort of sets up our end of part one as uh, John and Hawkgirl are taking down some bank robbers and actually having a little bit of a dialogue about uh, where John speaks about how he's sort of wondering what could have been if, and wondering maybe if he made the right life choices, which I, I found interesting. And I wish they'd maybe focused on that more. I get part two, as we'll talk about in a moment, is mostly all is a lot of action and maybe there's less time for that. But I really think the most interesting thing kind of across these two parts is John meeting up with an old friend and, and chatting with him and, and seeing all the success that he's had and the sort of personal gratification that he has and, uh, and, and wondering what could have been. We kind of see snippets of that in, uh, in, in Blackest Night, in, you know, one of the first episodes of the series. And then 
you know, going forward a little bit into season two, you see that, you know, one of his greatest fears in, uh, in only a dream is that he is nothing apart from the ring and that he doesn't really, he isn't really a whole person anymore. So I really wish they had really focused on that more, but we do get, uh, we do get some of that here with him uh, sort of pouring his heart out to Hawk girl a little bit. Well, that was pretty darn sloppy. Sorry. Care to talk about it? Running into Mason after all these years. I guess it got me thinking. Wondering about the choices I've made. The road not taken? Yeah. Maybe I could have been like him. Wealthy, successful. Engaged to a beautiful woman? It's Mace. Are you all right? John, we have to talk. I'll be right there. Stay here until the police arrive. Wait! Yeah, it's it's a nice little break from it. And we sort of, of course, in part two, we we get the realization that maybe he's uh, he's clearly just going through a bit of an identity crisis at this point. And there's probably a lot of emotional factors that are contributing to this. Him feeling, of course, somewhat responsible, even though he had nothing to do with it. Um, you know, him being sort of perplexed at this point that Rex Rex believes that. Uh, he's he's responsible for it and that uh, you know that that he's just angling to get his woman from him and uh, yeah there's that sense of camaraderie also I'm sure also being being the fact that he's a military man you know leaving somebody sort of being dropped uh, leaving a man behind like you know you don't leave a man behind and this one of his former battalion members is now you know turned into this sort of chemical monster so yeah, there's a lot of lot of subtext that and it and again we're we're still here early in season one, so you are still laying the groundwork for this deepening relationship between uh, Hawk Girl and and John. So it's interesting to see him showing a little bit of that softer side, that emotional vulnerable side that maybe he hadn't shown uh, you know prior to this. So I did like that that there was that that uh, that, that was featured there, albeit just a little little brief little moment there. But um, yeah, so the culmination of part one is is them having this giant uh, fight. Uh, between between Metamorpho and and John as he's sort of lured to this uh, lured to this place and uh, and is is attacked by him um, and then ultimately we get uh, we get the ju- rest of the Justice League showing up at the beginning of part two and uh, really Metamorpho takes on the whole Justice League and kind of handles them pretty well like there's a there's a pretty heavy battle in, in this mm-hmm. sort of uh, complex and uh, he. I don't know. I, I was trying to guess whether or not the vulnerabilities for the leaguers uh, tended to be like public knowledge, but we get a, get a part where he's, he's about to, he's standing over John and, and, you know, about to kill him and Superman shows up, saves the day. And then immediately Superman seems to have the upper hand and then pun intended uh, metamorpho changes his hand uh, into kryptonite, which starts to kill Superman. And, mm-hmm. you know, John Stewart sort of has to scream, you're killing him. You're killing him. What do you, you know, don't do it. Um, and then both Hawk girl and, and uh, Jean show up and there's this really great battle fight between Jean uh, who, who transforms into a dragon in this fight. One of his favorite, <laughs> one of his favorite forms <laughs> uh, and, and him and metamorpho sort of swirling up. We'll talk about it in visuals, but uh, you know, there's this fight that occurs between them and he, 
at some point turns turns to fire as John has sort of over overcome uh, him. So uh, again, recognizing another vulnerability here, I felt like we were just sort of missing maybe magic or something like that to sort of uh, to <laughs> subdue or yellow turning something into yellow to overpower uh, GL. I'm not sure, but uh, so at, at this point, uh, they they do sort of uh, band together. The rest of Justice League does, and they're sort of able to temporarily. Uh, incapacitate Metamorpho and he escapes through the sewers and that's when he arrives at Sapphire's apartment and uh, and uh, you know asks her what what she how she could betray him and especially for her you know for his old best friend and she you know begins to declare her undying love for him despite the fact that he looks like metamorpho <laughs> that she declares she'll always love him and that she has no desire uh, for john and that he's been mistaken and that's where uh, at this point rex kind of decides he kind of gets to the bottom of it and figures out oh this must be stag's doing and sort of runs off to to uh to attack stag at that point how could you rex you heard me how could you dump me like that what are you talking about my so-called buddy Green Lantern. But who wouldn't rather be with a superhero instead of a freak like me? How could you even think that? Don't bother denying it. I know what happened. Shut up and get this through that thick head of yours. I love you, you big dope. And I always will, no matter what. But the pictures, I saw you and John together and... Whatever you saw was a lie. Who showed them to you? It was. Good Lord. How could I have been so blind? Rex, wait, come back! And to confront Stag. And uh, that's where we get our next little fight sequence that happens as he shows up and uh, well, actually before that he shows up at Stag's at Stag's penthouse, just as Stag is sort of celebrating that he's about to, uh, to have this meeting because the board, wouldn't you know it now that they, he has this video of Metamorpho in action against the justice league being successful. Uh, they're ready to whip out their checkbooks and, Boy, if Stag doesn't just uh, rip off one of the best lines maybe ever in support of capitalism here, and uh, after after he celebrates the uh, his his uh, windfall, that's when Rex shows up. But Java uh, is able to subdue him by by just some some science and chemical reaction here. Everything every chemical reaction stops at zero degrees, they say. So uh, so they freeze him and uh, begin transporting him sort of uh, across town in an attempt for him to uh, to sort of debut to this uh, this board. But he escapes in the meantime. So uh, Simon Stagg, what did you know, was able to get his hand on an extra bit of that mutagen. No thanks to Java, as he reminds him. But in the process, Rex shows back up and sort of interrupts the, the experiment that's beginning to happen. And this causes another chemical reaction between Metamorpho himself and the mutagen. And uh, we see a little bit of change at this point uh, from Mr. Stag as he becomes sort of this giant mutagen monster or synthoid as he's later uh, referred to. Yeah, so I do have some questions about (laughs) (laughs) what this machine was that Stag was using. He's apparently 
because it what I it's like he's working on I guess synth or like fixing this mutagen and, and preparing it so he could create a, an army of metamorphos potentially, but he's doing it. He's in this like virtual reality thing with like it's wires attached to I guess whatever the computer is that that's uh, you know controlling the container that's that has the mutagen inside of it. And it's attached to his hand, like there's wires, and they and based on what happens, those wires have to be attached to his brain, like <laughs> like hardwired into his cerebral cortex here, mm-hmm. because as uh, as uh, Metamorpho breaks into uh, to knock, he knocks out Java, and as he's trying to destroy the mutagen to prevent anyone else from uh, from becoming part of it, he uh, he causes a, a jolt of electricity which fries uh, fries Stag's brain and uh, creates just, there's a little green puddle of this, like, I guess this not yet completely synthesized uh, version of the metamorpho mutagen, which metamorpho then walks in, which makes it glow purple. And then a giant green guy uh, who looks like, who occasionally when he's begins to speak or when he's shape changing, he, like takes the form of Simon Stagg briefly. And uh, as we find out, we get a little, again, we, this is the dialogue I was talking about and how it relates to him being creepy with his daughter, uh, which is, uh, they mentioned that it's, um, it's his raw, most base desires and impulses yep. are, uh, are what's, uh, so it's not his full consciousness that's been transferred into this synthoid mutagen being but it's it's what he wants and what he he feels at, at his most sort of base and and so it's all it's all aggression and anger and uh-oh more trouble no he's here to help i see you've met stag synthoid learn anything yeah don't hit it with an energy mace maybe we can talk to it reason with it not a chance it's totally mindless no i sensed a mind within the creature incomplete irrational and driven only by base desire. Maybe the feedback from the accident transferred part of Stag's mind into it. So what's it after? Oh, no. The gigantic creature has defeated the Justice League. Now it's continuing its rampage and heading relentlessly uptown. Residents are advised to evacuate. So he goes on a, on a rampage throughout the city. Superman and Hawkgirl, Martian Manhunter, they all try to, to stop him. They're not really able to because of what his powers are. And um, and in the process, Metamorpho uh, uh, and John sort of have their moment of making up and and they go off to try to help the battle. And in the meantime, uh, the synthoid has went to Sapphire's apartment. Sapphire is watching a news report where Snapper Car is informing us that the the be- the beast is defeated the entire Justice League and is rampaging uptown and she's just sort of sitting quietly apparently she didn't think at any point she should evacuate along with i assume the rest of the city but uh (laughs) she uh she is in fact grabbed by the synthoid and that sets up our and we'll certainly get into this more in visuals but our, our king kong homage as the giant monster grabs the blonde blonde girl and begins to sort of rampage uptown the the justice league kind of continues to be uh, ineffective, even with Metamorpho's uh, help. But uh, Batman, who stayed behind the lab, is able to sort of figure out that uh, because of the sort of chemical compound that uh, this synthoid is made up uh, made up of, they 
could uh, theoretically synthesize something that would neutralize it. And uh, though John doesn't want Metamorpho to do it, Metamorpho uh, knocks him out and then gets Batman to sort of tell him the ingredients and turns in to the, uh, to the antidote himself and uh, destroys Simon Stagg. They don't... So another thing I would like to talk about is when the, the synthoid is injected with the Metamorpho uh peptide i believe they refer to it as uh that that kills the monster um they they flash to simon stagg who has been brain dead in a hospital bed who who sits up looks directly into the camera and screams at the top of his lungs you see like a heart monitor going very fast and then he just collapses and it cuts away (laughs) is simon stagg dead is my question (laughs) Uh, uh, unknown. I'm not sure. I think, I, I mean, I would, I think you could, the case could be made either way, but I think it's very unclear and intentionally left ambiguous. We know that he doesn't return. So it's, it could, if you told me that he was dead, I would say you are correct. You are not wrong. <laughs> you could be right. Okay. That's, that's just where I was. I was trying, I was waiting for like the groan or to at least hear the heart monitor keep beeping a few more seconds but they kind of just cut right as he drops right as his head drops back under the pillow so i was uh, i was uh, i was what not quite sure if they managed to somehow squeeze an, an on-screen death into this uh into this children's show or not but uh, yes that uh, it seems that all hope is lost and though the monster has been destroyed it looks like perhaps metamorpho has too but uh, as they're sort of uh, the, the leaguers are sort of discussing it and and sapphire begins to mourn him out of this orange oozy puddle grows metamorpho back to his uh, his normal self and he and sapphire are reunited and 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 john sort of has a moment with uh, one more moment with hawk girl where where he uh, has kind of made peace with uh, his decisions to uh to go uh, go his particular route in life so that's where we end things here uh like i like i kind of said earlier i really like part one i think it's really good and it sets up something interesting it's cool that it gets so much focus on uh john stewart and such a deeply personal story for him not only because it's his best friend who's in trouble but also because it's also, you know, a best friend that he truly was maybe a little bit jealous of. If only for a moment, mm-hmm. he had to sort of consider what was, uh, you know, what his life could have been. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And then part two is mostly just metamorpho uh, punching stuff. And then and then the league fighting a giant green monster. <laughs> and that's fun in a different way. And we'll certainly talk about it in visuals in a moment but it's less interesting, I think, from a story perspective. So uh, all things considered, I settled on a 7 out of 10 for my plot score. Nice. Yeah, I actually gave it the same score. I gave it a 7 out of 10. I think that there are points where it drags just a little bit. In the, the first episode seems to be a very slow build, and then we get a rapid, like, nonstop action for the second episode pretty much is it's just we go from that big fight to the little battles between metamorpho and stag and then the big green monster is a huge fight at the end so it really feels like a huge whirlwind uh, in that second episode with very little time to breathe in between these fights 
which is not typical, I feel like, for most ECAU stuff. You usually get, you know, fight, a little bit of a lull, fight, a little mm-hmm. bit of a lull, and then, like, one culminate, like culminating in one giant action scene. And this felt like, at least for part two, which, again, I- I'm okay with changing up the formula. It just, it, uh, it felt like maybe that could have been used a little bit more in part one. Um, we do have the runaway train that takes place in the first, first episode, but it's really sort of the, the cliffhanger with between John and, and metamorpho, but, and some of the stuff, like I said, you can, you can kind of poke holes in the story. Like again, why does Rex investigate the, why does he need to investigate this thing? The creepiness that, that, you know, stag is going to, his whatever his uh his base desire or his his base what did they say his base uh his, his base and impulses instinct, impulses and instinct is to go get his daughter like what does that mean why did you know what's the undercurrent there it's a little bit creepy um and then we again we kind of just basically do king kong for the last uh you know five minutes of the episode which is again it's okay if you're gonna if you're gonna give an homage to a, a classic giant monster movie then why not go with one of the best ever so i do do appreciate the little wink at the camera because rex even says what he wouldn't kill for a biplane right now which i thought was <laughs> at least you're at least the characters are acknowledging the similarities uh, of the uh, the predicament that they find themselves in but yeah it's overall i think part two because it does have that that giant battle between metamorpho and and the majority of the league i think that it lends to being a little bit more entertaining but i think part one felt a little bit more like a almost like a classic batman the animated series episode um obviously parallels between uh, you know a, a person transforming into this monstrous creature was was sort of a, a staple of the batman the animated series episode so maybe that's why it felt so uh so grounded in that but that that sort of slow build through the first episode to the second episode felt much more classically like those those two-part episodes like a two-face or a clay face uh, where you have a the, the monster and obviously this differing at the end where the monster is actually redeemed instead of just being a straight-up villain so at, at least it differs a little bit there yeah that's yeah like i said it's it's not perfect but uh, i think there's good setup and and we talked about it it feels like it's a good character episode for john if nothing else now it does, of course, differentiate from the uh, classic origin story, at least in the comics. Uh, we'll talk about the comics in just a moment here, but uh, I just quickly mentioned that the original uh, original origin for Metamorpho was uh, Simon Stagg. Similar, Simon Stagg was not happy that Rex Mason was stealing his daughter or whatever, so he sends him to Egypt, where there's like an orb, and the orb g- gives Rex these powers <laughs> and stuff like that. So it was a lot more like 1950s. 60s sci-fi goofy comics so i do appreciate that they they sort of went the all right well if we're going to change it we'll just do the like homage to marvel comics characters origins here with (laughs) noxious gas chemical explosions happening yeah this is i think metaphor and that kind of works especially because metamorpho is kind of one of those characters that feels more it's like that that weird sort of seedy evil body horror science stuff that we see a little bit of, and actually the the writer credited with creating Metamorpho was also, uh, I think, one of the original writers on the Doom Patrol series. So I guess mm-hmm. I guess he just had that mind for that sort of mixing of of horror and monster stuff with the uh, with the superhero. So yeah, I think I think that origin kind of fits that well well enough, and maybe fits that motif a little bit better. Absolutely. That, of course, being Mr. Bob Haney, 
And we'll talk about the co-creator of Metamorpho in just a second here. But uh, yeah, and we'll move on to visuals here, visual and animation. So uh, lots of fun stuff to be had here. Anytime you have a character who sort of, uh, uh, you know, goes outside the, the lines here as far as physics are concerned, uh, you know, Metamorpho obviously sort of combining all of the great things that we enjoy about those stretchy guy characters, but also <laughs> as, you know, even beyond that, you get a little bit of Clayface style type things because he's made up of these four different elements. So you get physics thrown out the window. He's stretching. He's turning into, into gas. His hands are turning into diamonds at one point. He can shape shift into various different, you know, tools or whatever he needs to do. Um, he's shooting projectiles projectiles out of himself he's changing into water I, I think metamorpho as a character himself is tons of fun and i think probably the obvious one to go to when when looking at this episode yeah absolutely that's uh, like as you said it's it's almost an, an excuse for the the animators the storyboard artists the directors to show off but yeah, from kind of his first transformation, as we said, we get this, uh, you know, that, that very much right out of the original comics, as, as you kind of alluded to. But uh, yeah, we, you know, that, that first image where he looks into the mirror and sees himself and breaks the mirror and then runs out into the street. And, uh, and thank, thank goodness he, uh, somebody thought to put underpants on him when he <laughs> rips, his, he rips his, uh, his, his hospital gown off. But, uh, but yeah, as, as soon as he's hit by that truck and kind of is splattered across it and then sort of slowly reforms himself and, and, uh, and has that sort of first interaction with the cops that we already mentioned. But then, uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe the most fun visual stuff from Metamorpho definitely comes uh, as, as we sort of talked about a little bit in plot there is, is that fight scene with the Justice League where he sort of systematically is kind of taking them apart one by one. He actually fights, I guess he fights Green Lantern in, at the end of part one. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, he turns to Kryptonite to, to fight Superman. He, you know, sets himself on fire to, uh, but even even uh, before he he takes out uh, Jean in, in Jean's uh, dragon form, there's the this moment where the John as the dragon sort of flies towards him and Metamorpho sort of turns his lower half into like a spring and he has like a, a hammer on one hand and an axe on the other and, and sort of the two tails are sort of intertwining as uh, and, and wrapping around each other as they try to get the upper hand before John sort of wraps him all up in the, in the dragon's the dragon body which he sort of gets out of with the the fire. He, uses like I guess like cement or something to sort of ground Hawk Girl at one point. And yeah, I, I think maybe the most fun stuff is is that that one fight scene we get where it's uh, Metamorpho versus the Justice League for me. Yeah, that, that whole scene, like you said, um, the, the Martian Manhunter bit, uh, just him sort of having at every turn an answer to each of the heroes and really feeling like this is an actual legitimate threat to the Justice League at this point, you know, figuring out every at every turn, it feels like he's besting them and and has an answer to uh, to sort of to outsmart or or to to work around their powers in a way. So I really, really do enjoy that. It's such a fun sequence. And, uh, and, and really, uh, really makes Metamorpho feel like a legitimate threat. Like how could one man take on the Justice League? And then you realize, oh, it's because he can change forms so much. And yeah, at least two out of our four attacking heroes here are vulnerable to very specific 
elements and uh and he's smart enough to use those to his advantage but uh backtracking just a bit one of the things that uh, we talked about just briefly before we went on the air was um i think one of the things that stood out mainly to me is when you watch this episode because simon stagg is the first person other than these two construction work nameless construction workers that you see um his design is so unique He's got these big hairy eyebrows that look, come out almost of his eyeballs. And he's got these thick, dark lines that are under his eyes. And uh, Java also, as you mentioned, he's got this caveman hulkish looking uh, face and, you know, very apish or, or primate <laughs> looking human. Uh, and then Metamorpho himself also has those same thick lines underneath his eyes and these real uh um, like multiple lines across his face it's a very unique look than what we're used to to the streamlined look of the rest of the the heroes in the series and i i sort of was like man why did they why did they choose to do that so i kind of did a little digging just curiosity and his first appearance i actually learned something here so not only uh, we mentioned before bob haney was the co-creator of metamorpho but the reason i think that they ended up going with this specific look for those specific characters and sapphire stag actually um, is because uh, there the artist at the time was a was a young lady by the name of uh, Ramona Freden, uh, hopefully pronouncing that that correctly. Uh, Fredon Freden. For, uh, I'm going to go with Freden just for just for my my sake, but it could be any of those. So apologies <laughs> if it isn't. But uh, she actually is credited with co-creating. She was the artist uh, at the time on the Brave and the Bold comic. It's Brave and the Bold number 57, where Metamorpho debuted, and she was actually thinking about it. This was in the 1950s. She was an artist at a time where even today, nowadays we we do have some. It's 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 more common to have female artists. I think in the comic book industry. Uh, and there's, you know, some of the some of the top artists today uh, are females. But thinking about it at the time in the 1950s, this was a very male, even more so male dominated space. And uh, Ramona Freyden was was integral to the design and and the of this character and and the look of this character specifically. You know, I we read a little interview where she was talking about why she went with like specific colors. You know, it, representing each of the four elements that she, you know that uh, that are a part of Metamorpho and how much fun she had based on you know being able to design the characters and how that sort of was the symbiotic relationship with Bob Haney's right. So he wrote goofy things so that she could make crazy designs and she could do crazy designs that influenced his crazier writing. So it was this really cool, cool thing to, to realize. So I think based on that, it felt like that the creators here really went all out to sort of stay very true to those original designs as an homage to her and her specific style being the trailblazer that she was. Uh, again, in this very male dominated industry, creating, you know, a very integral character and having this very specific design that is not all that different than a, than a Jack Kirby or uh, Steve Ditko looking characters from that time, but maybe just a little bit softer. Yeah, I think it's funny when you, you had pointed that out to me, I, I was not aware of this. So you, uh, you, you uh if you want to know who did the research this week it was all it was all cal <laughs> but uh but yeah no it was uh it's it's really almost one-to-one -one. like as much as as we've talked about that in the past with as you mentioned jack kirby designs of some of the new god characters and stuff like that um how this how they sort of adapted it as close as they possibly could to the to the uh 
the original source material and just sort of maybe slightly sharpened it up for the or simplified it a bit for the the DCAU style. That is exactly 100% what they did for for Metamorpho, for Java, and for for Simon Stagg as well, and for Sapphire as well. Um, who you know they they're all pretty much taken right out of that that uh, that original comic from uh, from the Brave and the Bold there. So yeah, it's a, it's a really really impressive and 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 a great job of paying homage to uh, uh, to the to those characters and kind of their earliest appearances and and uh, and again with a, something like Metamorphose design, it's also I think an example of how much uh, Miss how much she uh, she nailed it right out of the gate with that design because you know it's also kind of a, a case of if it ain't broke right so it's <laughs> it was really cool to see uh, see that design brought to life and and so faithfully from that original source material so yeah I, I, I like I said I think the uh, that that's sort of shown off again in the in the action beats with with Metamorpho in in part two and then and then uh, eventually in the uh, final fight there like i said it's 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 fine it's it there's some fun moments i think when when superman and hawk girl are first uh sort of interacting with it and superman kind of takes a few swipes at it and the face sort of gets distorted and muffled and superman mentions it's like punching dough and you know it, it's sort of it doesn't seem to have all of metamorphose abilities or maybe it's just not smart enough to use them it does sort of create a gas at one point that it uses to knock out uh Superman and uh, and Martian Manhunter, and then I think it turn, turns its other arm into foam at one point. But uh, I think maybe yeah, maybe the creepiest part of this giant monster is is towards the end there when when Mason is sort of confronting it and and trying to get it to uh, to let Sapphire go, and then we sort of see the the face change into Simon Stagg's uh, as you mentioned the the Wolverine Widow's Peak, so to speak, <laughs> here, uh, and and sort of begins to slowly talk, and we'll certainly talk about that a little bit in voice acting too. But uh, yeah, there's a uh, there's I will say as as the monster the monster also obviously uh, is sort of reminiscent of the the DC character Chemo or Chemo, mm-hmm. um, who's been a you know a long time uh, foe of the Justice League and and DC characters as a whole so you know a giant green monster made of chemicals there's obviously some similarity there but they never call it that they never uh they refer to it only as the synthoid here but yeah i think uh, i definitely think the standouts are uh, from the action standpoint it's funny it's it's almost the reverse of what we said uh in our plot which is i think uh, uh while part one is maybe a little bit lighter on the action it is uh it's got a lot of fun uh uh, uh it's got a lot of fun story stuff and now here part two is uh part two is light on the action but uh is or is not light on the action it's the reverse it's maybe it's maybe less story stuff but it uh it definitely makes up for it by a lot of uh good superhero action and uh and i really like kind of the coloration that those final moments of of uh you know metamorpho transforming himself into this peptide that's going to destroy the monster and then sort of jumps inside of the monster and it's sort of and you can kind of see the agent like dispersing throughout the monster's body because it has this sort of green translucent body as as it sort of takes over and slowly it turns the the green monster into this bright orange that the color of the mutagen originally was and as it sort of melts away you again sort of see its face transform again so yeah overall i think there's a lot of uh good strong stuff here again mostly in part two but uh because of that i came to another pretty strong eight out of ten for my visual score 
Nice. Uh, yeah, I I really loved this uh, this episode visually. I think clearly, as you mentioned, Animation stu- Studio had a lot of fun. Um, I'll try to go rapid fire to go through some of my favorite moments here. I think uh, g- kind of going back, you, you you mentioned the the final scene where uh, as Metamorpho confronts uh, confronts the synthoid, he has that bit of transformation part. There's a lot of horror elements that are used sort of uh, throughout this, uh, starting with the transformation where metamorpho is stuck in this uh, well where rex is stuck in this tube and these you know the chemicals are released onto him uh we get sort of the classic you know hand up against the glass dragging down you know as the scene cuts and you're not quite sure what's happened to the hero or to to rex in this case uh you you sort of see his hand coming down the glass leaving streaks on it so uh, a classic horror element there i think the transformation that the initial transformation that we get of this of this uh the synthoid also you get sort of a a a more defined simon stag face that sort of morphs into the more monster face at at the first bit of transformation back in the warehouse and uh so there's there's definitely some some elements of horror that occur here i think uh even in the fight between the justice league and and metamorpho you know as uh as they're sort of trying to determine what's going on and superman shows up to save john as we mentioned rex's hand turns to kryptonite and then as he begins to kill superman hawkgirl shows up to save the day and just smashes his head completely off (laughs) like you know a lot of violence that could happen (laughs) happened to this character because he's made of chemicals and you know he could bounce back but you smash his head completely off just leaves this absolute giant divot in the body of metamorpho only for it to sort of slowly reform and then we also get that sort of horror element again at the end when uh you know after the after he's transformed himself into the peptide the synthoid has exploded and then we get the reformation and you're not quite sure even the justice league isn't sure whether or not it's the synthoid coming back and then he's sort of you know reaching out towards sapphire toward you know it but it's from the perspective of the viewer. It's reaching out towards you. It's very horror movie-esque again. Uh, so that that theme throughout is they use some of those horror elements. And that that really, really, I think, reflects back on those more horror uh, sci-fi elements that you mentioned in the, that, that the creators of this character uh, were sort of grounded in. So I love those neat little homages. Uh, I thought Green Lantern got a pretty cool showcase of, hey, he didn't use any constructs, but I do like the fact <laughs> that he got to stop a train with his ring or to try and stop a train with his ring. Uh, there's a really great moment where they're in pursuit of a uh, of a stolen armored car and he gets to slice the armored car, uh, stands in front of it, slices it in half, and then the car splits around him. I thought that was such a like such a badass move so fun to see um and then then even hawk girl as as they're trying to figure out how to fight this synthoid after he's uh sort of bested against superman and uh hawk girl hurls her mace at him right through his throat it begins to sort of electrocute him and then he launches the mace right back at her (laughs) i thought that was a super fun like little goofy visual of him sort of belching the (laughs) belching the mace back at her (laughs) and her just sort of shaking her head and saying, well, that didn't work. 
Um, but it, you also mentioned the, the coloration, I think the coloration throughout this, the palettes that they used, you get a lot of blues. There's one particular scene. I think it's the scene where, uh, Mason, uh, is escaping from his captors and breaks out. Uh, the skies are this beautiful, like orange fuchsia blue mixture that sort of line up with the color that color palette that metamorpho himself mm -hmm. is so it really sets the scene and it's a really different look than we're typical it's not a plain red sky or a plain blue sky so you really get a beautiful like sunset type of of looking sunburst sky um and yeah, I think the the mutagen monster, of course, and then the homages to to uh, to King Kong, of course, throughout are 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 just you know who who could miss those and couldn't enjoy those. I will say there was one minor production flub that I didn't even see the DCAU wiki pick up on, but uh, early on in the battle they actually cut and you can see the what's standing in place for the Empire State Building in the background, and the antenna is already bent on the on it prior to it being bent later on and sort of the culmination of the fight between metamorpho and the mutagen monster on top of the building so uh but then it's straight up at the beginning of that sort of sequence there so I, they reused the backgrounds there for that and i think the dcau wiki said they also had reused uh, potentially reused backgrounds from the terrible trio episode of uh batman the animated mm -hmm. series uh, for where Rex is. So maybe, maybe this, they don't really say where this takes place, right? What city this takes place in. So no, cops looked, I thought it was metropolis, but they never say that if that's mm -hmm. the case, maybe it's, maybe it's like a suburb between Gotham and metropolis. And, uh, maybe. and like that, you know, that, that he's staying, he now owns the penthouse where the, the terrible trio were hanging out back in that episode. Since those guys went to jail. I like it some some good continuity there you can you can make it work it's con it's uh it's canon until proven otherwise right absolutely that's our motto on the show there you go but uh yeah i really loved i really love the visuals for this i think it's super fun i think they're you know metamorpho is the star and the various different ways that he's able to sort of uh, manifest his different powers and just kind of having no rules with him whether it's him floating uh, as a floating head with gas uh, as his body as he's flying around or him using his an hands as pickaxes to climb up the the side of the the Empire State Building stand in or him turning into water and coming out of the faucet and sapphires, uh, you know, bedroom, just just some really cool, fun stuff and would have lended to a, an, an interesting follow up, because unfortunately, we other than a few cameos, we don't get another Metamorpho episode like a, a Metamorpho centric episode. So uh, for all those reasons, though, uh, the visuals uh, are, are great and outstanding. And, and especially, I think, the uh, the 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 homages to to Miss Ramona uh, Fraden's uh, original designs. I felt like I had no choice but to give this a perfect 10 out of 10. Love it. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think everything's uh, pretty darn strong. And I think this is one of our first or one of the first things I'm remembering. There's definitely some digital effects mixed in with the with the fire mm -hmm. and with uh, when he's sort of some of the projectiles are like hitting off of Green Lantern shields and stuff. You can definitely tell that they're uh, that it's some CGI there, but it's water. not the. But it's the oh, yes, the water as well. Yep. Um, but it's not it didn't feel super jarring to me the way at you know some of the the integrations of those digital backgrounds or vehicles or some of that stuff I thought I thought it was uh, integrated pretty seamlessly so and and there was a fair amount of it throughout these uh, these two parts there so a good job by the, uh, the digital effects team as well 
And I think that just that brief little sequence of him sort of turning his body into a spring, Jean turning into the dragon and them sort of flying up into the air, sort of mm-hmm. twisting around each other um, and then coming to blows. And then John sort of overtaking him, uh, him disappearing and then him bursting out of John. I thought I, that whole sequence is just like, you could put that on and teach a master class of just beautiful animation. Like that thing is, that thing is so good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's really, it's really quite a fun sequence. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, and that is going to be music. Uh, So uh, I didn't have a ton for notes here other than uh, I I did make some notes during the runaway train sequence. There was some some great music there. Um, I will say I, I missed there's a there's a perfect spot I felt like where where they could have used the Shirley Walker Superman theme that being where he sort of swoops down and rescues mm-hmm. Lantern and they play this alternate heroic sounding theme but it's just like heroic generic theme number four or something like that which made me a little bit disappointed in their choice for for punctuating that moment but uh i think the rest of the the musical notes that i had mainly were for the battle sequences um those of course are are drumming up the excitement and and certainly uh are are meant to to get your pulse running a little bit certainly in the the culmination of the of part two is as uh as the synthoid is climbing the building and he has sapphire in his hand we get uh you know the the pulse quickening tempo quickening uh drums and and uh and and orchestral music that's uh, played throughout but uh other than that i i didn't re- didn't really have anything that necessarily uh stood out too much what about you yeah i i think what stood out to me ironically was um there's a lot of scenes that just have no music. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, the opening bit, I think when, when stag is talking to the boardroom, doesn't really have much. A lot of those early scenes in part one where, uh, where John is talking to Rex at his apartment. There's a little bit of sort of like the, the sultry saxophone music brought in when, uh, when Sapphire first appears, but kind of the first part of that, that scene. And then, uh, I think when, uh, when stag and Jabba are kind of sitting at their, at at his, uh, I guess, at Stag's house, sort of talking about the success of the Metamorpho program and all that. There's, uh, there's not really music at the start of that scene, so it's a lot of there's a like a lot of silence where they're really just allowing the whatever's happening on the screen and, and of course the voice acting, which we'll get to in a moment, to kind of to kind of work on its own. So I thought that was interesting um, as a as a sort of musical choice there. To, to you know sort of to hang back as much as it does here but yeah i think that is something um i think the lack of the familiar themes being brought back um was also interesting because i feel yeah it feels like there's definitely that moment for superman and i think there's a moment in in part one certainly when when we we sort of first see batman sort of uh, sneak into the uh, the crime scene where the where the train is derailed and then again a little bit later he's sort of hanging off the light fixture uh, uh, still at the uh, the subway station, all in shadow, and it feels like there were some moments they could have brought it in just for a moment or two there. Really, any kind of like stronger atmospheric uh, music that we're used to there. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I didn't have any uh, any problems with it, but I, I also just felt it didn't uh, didn't really stand out a ton for me. So I, I ended up with a a five out of ten for music this week. 
Yep. I also went with the same score, five out of 10, nothing offensive. Um, other than, other than being a slight disappointment that there was no uh, Shirley Walker, Superman theme used uh, when Superman arrives or when he tries to take on the beast uh, later on in the, at the end of part two, but uh, yeah, uh, overall, otherwise just, just a big bag of okay this week. (laughs) All right, Liam, let's move to our final category this week, which is going to be our voice acting. So we have a a lot of our normals here, but we also have a couple of, of uh, guest actors also that uh, played some memorable roles on other cartoons that you might uh, have been watching in the mid nineties. So let's talk about this week's voice actors. That's right. So uh, first and foremost, uh, we'll have uh, Richard Mall as uh, as Java, who of course is uh, most famously to people listening to this show. He was Two Face uh, yep. slash Harvey Dent on Batman the Animated Series. Unrecognizable. Yeah, I would not have pulled this out in a, in a million years, which speaks to both his talent and the the genius of uh, Andrea Romano as far as uh, as far as. Uh, casting him and casting such a, a, a voice actor who had such a familiar and important role in this universe already but allowing allowing him to uh to just really lose himself and and uh, give a completely different type of performance than uh, than what we were used to with with uh, his two-face hey is that the stuff luckily i was able to get another shipment of the mutagen no thanks to you now we can shift into full-scale production. Yeah, absolutely. For you know, we've we've seen that before, where characters who have played other characters, both prior and post their their most notable uh, roles in in the DCAU, and sometimes it can be distracting. This was not one of those cases, which just goes goes to show you what a great. Uh, voice actor that he's that he is that he's able to sort of put on the voice that he does for both Harvey Dent and then later Two Face. But um, it's great to see the name there, and 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 great also that it wasn't distracting. Absolutely. Uh, elsewhere in the cast, we have uh, playing the voice of Sapphire Stag. We have Danica McKellar, who we've talked about a lot on this show. Uh, not only because we've reviewed a couple episodes of Young Justice where she plays Miss Martian. But uh, also, of course, she's uh, voices, I believe, Frida on Static Shock and has done a lot of other voices. Uh, she's good. Like, it's, she doesn't get a ton to do. She's, uh, but I think she does get a little to show a little bit more in, in part two. And first, when she's having that interaction with, with John, when she's sort of so upset about, or I guess that's the end of part one, where she's having uh, the interaction with John about how upset she is that, uh, and, you know, that, you know, just begging John to help him and then. And then uh, later on in part two, when when Metamorpho confronts her about uh, this this imagined affair that she's having with John Stewart, um, who she met five minutes earlier, um, <laughs> she was incredibly flirtatious with him. I will yeah, say that she's a very physically affectionate woman, clearly. Um, but uh, but yes, so I think I think she gets a little bit to do more in in part two when she's uh, when she's sort of interacting with with him as metamorpho and then and you know and we get some good classic uh you know just the the high-pitched screams as uh, very much playing her part of the the king kong homage that we talked about yeah i I actually really 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 thought that her screaming she screams rex at the end as as uh as metamorpho goes to sacrifice himself 
you know, by turning into the peptide that's going to defeat the synthoid. And she does a really like concerned, you know, heartfelt scream of Rex knowing that he's going to sacrifice himself. Uh, I totally believable. And I actually was like, that was, that was great. I love you, Saf. That was really good and really done done really well. She's she didn't have a whole lot to do. Like there there wasn't a lot of other emotion that she had to do other than again when she's introduced, she's a little bit flirtatious with John, uh, and then she she sort of has to stand her ground with Rex in the next scene where they they inform Stag that they're leaving, uh, and then the rest of it is her just sort of you know being being surprised or scared or sort of heartbroken uh, in various different forms. But I, I thought she was very believable in, in the way that she did it. So uh, she got a thumb up for me for that. Absolutely. And uh, elsewhere, some uh, some rapid fire. Speaking of familiar voice acting names, we have Jason Marsden briefly as Snapper Carr. And uh, we have doing kind of doing the voice of the of the synthoid monster. Uh, thanks to uh, they also put sort of a hefty uh, effect on it as well. But uh, we have D. Bradley Baker, who is just like a, a one of the most talented voice actors there is. You would know him. Uh, he plays uh, Klaus the Fish on American Dad. He uh, he voices, uh, I think, all of the clones on the, the Star Wars uh, animated stuff. So oh, wow. uh, as well as do, uh, has done some a lot of he do, and he also does a lot of like animal like when there's an animal that doesn't really have any spoken lines. A lot of times you'll see his name in the credit playing like an ape or a dog or, or something like that. So he's uh, just a really talented guy there. So I wanted to mention his name and then uh, playing the, uh, the synthoid when it's in human form, that being Simon Stagg, we have a, a real legendary actor, I think in, in Earl Bowen here, who is maybe more legendary to us personally, because he was the voice of the ultimate bad guy on the Christian audio drama adventures and odyssey that we listened to when we were kids. Yep. Uh, but uh, folks uh, who were not raised in the church may, may know him more as a, uh, as a character in all three of the original Terminator movies uh, and uh, as well as a ton of other voice work throughout his, uh, his career done a lot of the voice acting in, in things like Kim possible in, in, in world of Warcraft, video games he was, he was uh, red skull in the uh the spider-man animated series oh very good very good marvel, pull there marvel universe uh he was also the voice of whoever the guy is in the secret wars i don't know the name of the character but he's like <laughs> oh the beyonder yeah the beyonder yeah he's also the voice of the beyonder in that final secret wars uh little bit that they do there so yeah yeah tons of voice uh, acting to his credit but he is he's so he's and i mean this as a complete and total compliment he is such a ham <laughs> and, and so much fun there is no doubt as we will uh, you know as we sort of t- touched on how just this ultimate you know corporate greed like lex luthor thinks this guy is greedy you know like <laughs> uh, the guy who ran goth cart goth corp thinks simon sag is too slimy like there's two he's just this ultimate like corporate bad guy doesn't you know he's so frothing at the mouth at the idea first in in part one when he's explaining that 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 uh that 
uh, mining accident that he has the video of, he explains, the problem isn't that someone died. The problem is that the unions might ask for more money to uh, to do that, to do that work if, if those sort of accidents keep happening. And then later on, uh, as, as he sort of gleefully shouts uh, when Metamorpho is fighting the Justice League, maybe this will even have military applications. <laughs> no one, you know, more than, more than like Mr. Krabs on Spongebob. This man loves money. Well, is Metamorpho everything I promised? Everything and more, Simon. We want him. I thought you would. Let's set up a meeting for next week and bring your checkbook. I don't get it, boss. How are you going to get Mason to work for him? Mason? He was just a prototype. Now that I've perfected the process, I don't need him anymore. And, uh, and he, he's just Earl Bowen doing a tremendous, just a tour de force here as like the ultimate corporate evil businessman. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's really, I mean, it's all summed up. If he had a mustache to twirl, he would be twirling it uh, during, during his, mm-hmm. uh, his delivery of all those lines. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really solid. It's really funny. Uh, and, and just a solid voice acting performance. It fits the character. It fits the, the greedy nature of him, the under the, uh, the undercover bad guy of just, just being overtly hateable, <laughs> like, <laughs> just so, so good. Uh, yeah. His performance stands out. Uh, and, and again, a, a guy who's, who continued to get jobs well into his sixties, uh, and, and probably later on than that, uh, just because of having such a great unique voice, but also being able to deliver just over the top performances when they're called for. So uh, when you have, uh, you know, the character of Metamorpho, who's sort of the antagonist for most of the, the first part, even though that it's, you know, even though stag is behind it, you kind of have to have based on who they, who they cast as, as Rex Mason slash Metamorpho, you kind of had to have somebody that was a little bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. demonstrative, I guess a little bit more over the top uh, and to balance that out. So I I think they did a great job of casting here. No, no surprise. So uh, he got high marks from me as well. Absolutely. And then we have uh, Tom Sizemore as Metamorpho slash Rex Mason, who's another character. I think uh, he gets uh, I think he gets more to do in part one because we first see him as kind of the suave, uh, you know, business guy who's, you know, flirting with the lady on the train and then has this, you know, this beautiful life with this, you know, the the great job and the hot girlfriend. And then and then sort of as the episode unfolds and he's sort of alerted to this mutagen and he sort of goes and confronts stag. And then, uh, you know, he's kind of twisting the knife a little bit later when, when he and Sapphire reveal to Simon stag that they are in fact uh, in love and planning to move away and sort of, you know, calls him dad and really kind of, kind of has like a real kind of sarcastic cocky nature to him, which is then sort of all, uh, you know, literally and figuratively melted away from him once this accident befalls him. And then he's just, it's just there's a, like a real like panicked sort of manic anger to him i think for the rest of part one and into part two and then uh, i think the when he kind of chooses to make that heroic sacrifice at the end and you know sort of calls out to sapphire as he's about to uh, you know transform into this peptide that's gonna that's gonna save the day i think i think he gets to do a lot of different emotions and and kind of almost plays like three separate characters as you have the you know rex mason the the suave guy you have the 
you know, kind of a little bit sarcastic and cocky. And then you have the, the sort of the angry unhinged metamorpho that he plays uh, for the rest of part one and into part two. And then sort of the, the hero metamorpho that he sort of becomes as that episode goes on. So he gets to do uh, quite a bit throughout these two parts. Yeah. And I think even though I just said that he was a little bit understated, I think that he, he doesn't, he does sort of, uh, come out of his shell, like you said, when he becomes the unhinged version of Metamorpho, but then settling back down into the more rational Rex Mason Metamorpho also, you're, you're almost playing three different characters. So, you know, the fact that you're able to to deliver a solid performance throughout, totally believable as the, as the you know, the, the womanizing, you know, suave playboy that he is in the first couple scenes, sort of, you know, giving jabs at John sort of teasing him about not being quite the, in the same place uh, status wise as him. And then, you know, at the end sort of having to turn into this sacrificial hero that's sacrificing uh, himself to, to not only save his, his fiance or the, the woman that he loves, but to save his, his friend too. He goes out of his way to knock John out so that he can, he can turn into the, the peptide to defeat, uh, to defeat the synthoid. This is getting us nowhere. Lantern, I've got something. The creature's composed of artificial protein. We can destroy it with a complex polypeptide. Like a designer amino acid? How soon can you whip up a batch? That's the problem. It'll take days to synthesize. We don't have that long. Wait, tell me what's in the stuff. I'll do the rest. Change into the polypeptide? Not a chance. If you come into contact with that thing, the chemical reaction will destroy you both. Yeah, you're probably right but I don't have time to argue. <sighs> Sorry, pal, but Sapphire needs me. Lantern, are you still there? He's resting. What's the formula? So, uh, yeah, it's it's a solid performance all the way around. Again, I'm, I was it's disappointing that we didn't get another episode uh, featuring him so we could get get more of his uh, his acting chops out there. But uh, yeah, I think I think he delivers. It's a solid performance all the way through. And when you when you step back and realize the three different personas almost that he had to play, uh, I, I think it's it's appreciated even more. Absolutely. And then that will bring us to our, our regular Justice Leaguers. Really only one or two of them get a lot of chance to shine, but we do briefly uh, throughout the two parts have Kevin Conroy as Batman. We have uh, Carl Lumbly, of course, as Martian Manhunter and George Newbern as Superman. Uh, none of them get a lot to do, but they are they are present and, and, and fine for what they what they're at, what's asked of them. But uh, Maria Canales Barrera gets a little bit more to do as Hawkgirl in this episode. Um, like I said, mostly in part one, when she and, and John are kind of having a, a little bit of a heart to heart, she gets to bounce off a little bit of really the main star of this two parts from our main character standpoint. Anyway, that is, of course, Phil Lamar as the Green Lantern. And again, I think another character who gets to go through a lot of the different emotions of the, you know, the happiness of reuniting with his old pal to, you know, kind of dealing with the tragedy of that and and then the jealousy that he felt and, and wondering what could have been that again that uh that heart to heart that he and uh, and Shaira have after they they take down the armored car robbery it, I think is really good and then you know Philomar having to kind of reason with uh with with Metamorpho as as uh, as Metamorpho attacks him at the end of part one I think is really good and and then kind of all, all culminating at near the end of part two. And when, when Metamorpho decides he's going to transform himself into this, uh, this pep toy, 
peptoid antidote and uh and and john doesn't want him to so i again i think i think phil lamar gets to uh gets to show a lot of different emotions from you know happiness and jealousy and 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 kind of a wistfulness to him to then sort of being the the real the classic hero that we you know we all come to expect from uh from his performance so uh a nice job of him getting to uh, to stretch his legs a little bit here yeah, I think uh, you know it's no surprise we talk about him quite often about his his uh, his acting chops. But as you mentioned, so rare was it to have a, an episode sort of solely focused, especially early on here, on on a single single character's arc, and the fact that we sort of get his perspective and we get to sort of ride with him and his his experience throughout. A little bit of a roller coaster, his experience of his emotions, losing a friend, trying to figure out if he is indeed jealous of his status, you know, what it means to be a hero and, and to choose to sacrifice and to for not for not for personal gain and and to to continue to sort of soldier on here and to and and to to sort of express those emotions and then uh, again towards the end as he sort of realizes his friend is back and and has redeemed himself this just moments after having this giant fight with him where he's trying to to reason with him and get him to come back uh, there's a, there's a huge range of emotions that he has also to to express and uh, no no shocker here that uh, that he's able to do so but it's it's cool that we get to see this as a as a almost like a solo solo episode of his for the for the main part of it there absolutely yeah I, th- I think there's a there's definitely a chance for him to shine there that uh, you know when you're in an ensemble cast you don't always get so I, I think that uh, that definitely. Uh, works to the advantage here so all around i think uh, especially on the the performances of, of earl bowen as, uh, as simon stagg and and of course phil lamar as green lantern and a lot of the supporting cast did a great job as well so uh, i ended up with a very strong nine out of ten for my voice acting nice yeah i actually went with the same exact score nine out of ten i think it is it's a strong cast overall i think everybody really does a does a great job but i think the the standout certainly mr bowen and then of course uh phil lamar uh doing the the lion's share on the uh on the good guy side so yeah such a such such a great cast another great great uh series of castings by andrea romano and uh you know an overall a, a a pretty uh pretty great episode when it comes to the voice voice performances absolutely all right Liam. well that will begin to bring it whoa well that is the uh that's the bonus point sound here so uh that must mean that uh that one of us here has well that's the second bonus we we both must have bonus points what are the chances here it's as if so if I didn't know that was coming, despite the fact we discussed it, that we would have bonus points before the episode started. Uh, Liam, uh, so I will start with mine. Uh, mine's actually just uh, giving it a little extra bonus point just again to those uh, beautiful character designs. I really I really loved learning about, uh, you know, Ramona Fraden's and, uh, you know, her her history and and her her place in comic book history. You know, you learn little things every day and, and just being able to learn that through through this episode and and through their faithful uh, uh, homages to those original character designs, I felt like just got got an extra point for me. I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed learning about her as a as a comic book artist. Believe it or not, uh, Miss Ramona is still uh, still kicking it at the young age of nine fifty uh, at the young age of ninety five years old. Uh, so you know, 
good health wishes to her and, and continued continued uh continued long life for her she's uh she's a legend that has a a place in comic book history that maybe uh, not a lot of people know about so uh i definitely was not one that that knew so uh, glad glad to learn about her uh what about you what's your uh what's your bonus point that's right so mine is a much less uh noble uh, <laughs> uh one than uh than yours which uh yeah absolutely uh you know absolutely love love that love, love that bonus point from you but uh mine on a on a lighter side is uh is the fact that when uh when simon stagg is uh as i mentioned the the ultimate sort of car- literally and figuratively cartoonishly evil corporate bad guy the ultimate corporate bad guy in in all of uh, in all of the dcau perhaps he utters a line which i never thought i would hear on a children's cartoon i rewound it four times it made me last so so much <laughs> he at one point after he's uh you know gotten off the phone with the board who wants to you know wants him to go ahead and, and make a bunch of these metamorpho soldiers he's so happy that he's gonna get to make more money which again we've established is all he all he truly loves besides maybe his daughter and uh and he utters the line a toast java to unbridled capitalism a toast java to unbridled capitalism (laughs) and it just kind of hangs in the air there's no like it doesn't cut there's no irony to it this guy this guy loves uh loves capitalism and he just had to shout it from the rooftops and it just made me laugh so so much and the the line delivery again from mr Obowen is tremendous and uh len yuli and dwayne mcduffie for for writing that line i'm not sure which one of them would, would get the credit for that specific line in the script but uh incredible incredibly funny line delivered by delivered perfectly by uh, the director and i'm sure andre armano probably uh, had a had a hand in that as well so just a, a big thumbs up for that line because i think it's one of the uh, the funnier single lines in uh, in the dcau that i've ever heard personally so so good very funny regardless of Regardless of what you believe about capitalism, you can't help yes. but laugh at the fact that they <laughs> they put that line in there and just sort of unbridled capitalism. Yep, yep, yep. That's one that you'll you'll probably hear us refer to many many times going forward. Here, that's right. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our total scores for this week's episode. So, including my bonus point, a very respectable thirty-two out of forty for this week's episode. What about you? Yeah, and I uh, I had a pretty similar score, just a couple notches lower, but with uh, everything, including my bonus point added up, I had a thirty out of forty. So, uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good, strong showing from us uh, as we get into rewatchability here. Um, you know, Metamorpho does come back, uh, you know, later on in Justice League Unlimited. Obviously, he doesn't have any speaking roles, but he is around. Um, so this is the debut of that character. And then I, I think the other maybe point in its favor is that there's a little bit more uh, GL Hawkgirl stuff. And, you know, it's a good character beat for Jon Stewart on his own. But then you also mix in that, you know, Hawkgirl's kind of 
there for him to open up to. I think, uh, you know, I think this gets like, you know, one and a half thumbs up, maybe. <laughs> I love that since we've introduced the half thumbs up now that we, we oh, yeah. we're, we've further complicated this thing that used to yeah. just be, should we watch it or should we not watch it? I'm all for it. Let's, let's do it. Um, yeah. I, I think this gets a one thumb up for me as far as rewatchability is concerned. It's not really integral that there is some, uh, you could argue there's some depth that's done again with the with the Hawk Lantern relationship. I, there's... And if I could add add one little caveat, sure. Uh, we have not reviewed this episode yet, but do you remember what uh, the future son of Hawk Girl and Green Lantern is named? Uh, oh, is it Rex? It's Rex Stewart. Wow! Holy wow! Mind blown. You think? I think, I think, um, and I'm pretty sure that episode was also written by Dwayne McDuffie. So uh, I would bet that was a little bit of an homage. So I think, I think that, that might nudge it up to that. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. It's, it's, I'm still going with one thumb up. I don't care. You can, all right. it's not that pivotal to the character that his name is Rex, it, <laughs> but it's still pretty, <laughs> it's cool. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, like we said, we don't get much more metamorpho other than a, than a occasional cameo in an episode, no speaking roles uh, going forward. So I, yeah, it, we, there's, there's not much use for that character going forward. You do build a little bit on the, the John character gives him a little bit of depth, as you mentioned, but, uh, you know, if you skipped this episode and came back to it, like I said, for the longest time, we only had part one on videotape and didn't know what happened in part two and it didn't really affect our lives in any specific way because <laughs> we just went on living and nothing nothing was seemingly missing from the catalog so uh i i would say based on that i would say yeah it's it's one thumb up it's an enjoyable episode it's fun the visuals are great good voice acting as we already talked about the plot might be a little eh, but i think it's still enjoyable so I, i'll give it one thumb up all right, Liam, let's uh, let's begin to wrap things up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, whatever one you listen on to. Subscribe to us. If it lets you leave a review, do that for us. That helps us out a lot. Uh, if it lets you leave a little blurb, letting you know, letting people know what you enjoy about us, go ahead and do that. Uh, don't forget, if you listen to us on Spotify, you can check us out on the app. There are different options for you to interact with us. There's a question of the week that's posted there. There's a poll that's usually associated with it also so check that out don't forget also this past week we also dropped our latest bonus episode which covers the justice league infinity comic book which is uh, barreling towards the end here we have just uh, one more review to do after this past week's episode so if you love the justice league and you're interested in finding out what happens after justice league unlimited uh, go back in, in the archives at dcaureview.com or on your favorite podcast app and check out the bonus episodes where we reviewed those comics you can also of course get those comics at your local comic book store or on the amazing wonderful comiXology app or or coming soon to the fantastic dc universe app the best 
app in the world in my <laughs> in my opinion it's just a wonderful app uh, <laughs> Liam also don't forget uh, we uh, we have a store if you're looking to pick up maybe a, a stocking stuffer or something if you just want to throw some money if you love capitalism just like Simon Stagg so do we here's to unbridled capitalism support the pod pick yourself up a shirt or a hat sticker of some kind if you want to that's at dcaureview.com click on the shop tab or one free way that you can subs, uh, support us is subscribe to the Pod Tower YouTube channel. Head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the Pod Tower channel. You get our episodes, including the bonus episodes, every single week that they are posted. And then you also get content from our friends at Watchtower Database and Tim Talk. Liam, we have another episode coming up next week. However, we are breaking from our normal review cycle here, and we're doing something that we've only done one other time before, but we introduced a a concept uh, a couple months ago that was actually received really, really well. We put up an exciting poll on Twitter to determine uh, who, who we would talk about next. But coming up next week, we have our second edition of the DCAU Spotlight series. Uh, So would you like to reveal just who we'll be talking about next week? That is right. And uh, so as I think we may have even talked about this on that original episode. Um, Previously, we did an episode on Blight, who had three appearances or something and was pretty... And in one season of a show that was very easy to contain for the uh, some of the more popular DCAU characters who are in multiple series, multiple episodes, it's it's a little bit harder. So this is going to be a volume one. But uh, we are since we are doing a month of Justice League, we're celebrating 20 years of Justice League. We decided we would pick one of the members of the Justice League. And we put a few up in a poll last week, had a lot of good feedback on that. And I could now reveal that next week we'll be doing our second ever spotlight episode. It'll be volume one on this character. Many more to come in the future, I'm sure. But volume one of Hawk Girl. So Hawk Shaira Hall herself getting the spotlight next week right here on the DCAU Review. We'll be looking at all of her season one appearances, season one of Justice League, and uh, maybe a little bit at her toys and uh, and her co- a little bit at the, uh, the tie-in comics. But because she actually has so many more on-screen appearances, uh, the majority of the time will probably be spent on the actual on-screen stuff. But we'll definitely look at those side things the same way we did in our previous Spotlight episodes. So I am very excited to uh to look at that and to uh, explore the early days of hawk girl in the dcau very very excited to look at that that's right shaira hall fans rejoice uh your queen shall arrive next week and we are excited uh to discuss her but uh until then i'm cal and i'm liam and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the dcau review bye-bye